Uh, greetings, my name's Adam Draycott and welcome to uh, this online ministry uh, from St Augustine's Anglican Church in Burrell. Uh, this has been prepared for the 12th of June 2022, uh, Trinity Sunday it is, and our sentence of scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 17 to 18. It says, Christ Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in the one spirit to the Father. Let's begin with a time of praise.
Let us pray. Father, you sent your word to bring us truth and your spirit to make us holy. Through them, we come to know the mystery of your life. Help us to worship you, one God, in three persons, by proclaiming and living our faith in you. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. As we come to the ministry of God's Word, uh, our preaching passage comes from Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 8 to 20. Our psalm is Psalm 49. And our Bible reading comes from Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Let me pray. Loving Father, we ask your help as we come to your word. Uh, please teach us and guide us, um, grow us in Christ Jesus, that we would live lives that please you and glorify you. And we ask for your help in all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin our time together by saying, I really hate Monopoly. You know Monopoly, don't you? There it is. Can you see that? That's a, that's a, that's a boot. Or maybe a partial to a train. I wonder if anyone's done some psychoanalysis on the choices of Monopoly pieces. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? There you go. Um, yep, I hate Monopoly. Uh, the saying goes, uh, money is the root of all evil. It's not true. Monopoly is. Monopoly is the root of all evil. Uh, I remember growing up, Sunday afternoons, family time that's designed to bring people together and Dad and I would team up, which was fun, and we'd go against my older sisters like, that's ever going to go well, and uh, when does it ever? When does it ever go well? It doesn't matter if it's your older sisters. could be anybody. And your goal, think about it, your goal is to bankrupt, financially bankrupt your friends, those you're playing Monopoly with, and there's no freeloading, and there's no grace, and the negotiations get pretty awkward, don't they? There's tension, pay, pay up, show me the money, and it all becomes a little too real, a little too personal, and uh, we can get easily offended, and we, ooh, they wouldn't do that in real life, would they? Would they do that in real life, I wonder? Would they? And then we wonder if Monopoly is a microcosm of life. Uh, we chase after more, we accumulate more, and we bury anyone that gets in our way. Always looking to improve our lot in life, to stay ahead until you really are the last boot, or the last train, or whatever piece it is that you've picked, and it's all yours. There it is. And everyone else, what happens to them? They're off the board. They're wiped off the board. Dispensed. Discarded. Gonski. And as we think about Monopoly, and as we think about chasing a better lot in life, I want to begin our time by asking you, uh, how, how are you? Are you satisfied 
with your lot in life? Think about that carefully. Um, do you have joy with your lot in life? Are you fulfilled? What makes you happy? Uh, last week in chapter 3, we wrestled with death and what follows. What follows? So what's the point? What's to be gained? Uh, today, we're going to be mainly in chapter 5, but what of chapter 4? Well, in chapter 4, it's again, full of observations about life under the sun, things that are hard to grasp and to make sense of. Uh, we could pick it up. Oh, let's go back to chapter 4 then. Okay, you can convince me. He, he looks, he sees, in verse 1, he sees the tears of the oppressed. They have no comforter. Power is on the side of the oppressors, uh, and they have no comforter. And on it goes. So there's a power imbalance. Oppression is on view. Injustice. Uh, verses 4 to 6, another problem with life under the sun. There's a workplace rivalry uh, and selfish ambition, uh, which he says, thumbs down, no good. And of course, uh, a model of rivalry in the workplace, that can only lead to what? If your workplace is full of rivalry and, and, and um, you know, uh, infighting and all that kind of stuff, what can that lead to? Uh, oppression. Yep, that is right. And rivalry can not only lead to oppression, which we mentioned in verse 1, but it can lead to the next thing, which is about a lack of community in verses 7 to 12 of chapter 4. Rivalry can undermine community. So what do we got in chapter 4? A power imbalance and oppression. We've got workplace rivalry. We've got a lack of community. And also, when we come to verses 13 and 16, we see it all trickles down from the top, those who rule and govern. And that is chapter 4. You see what we did there? Uh, chap that's chapter 4. But come with me now. Uh, if you missed that, just come with me to verse 8 of chapter 5, because I think verse 8 summarizes chapter 4 to some degree. It picks up a lot of the ideas. It says, if you see the poor oppressed, yeah, there it is, uh, in a district... And justice and rights denied. So there's that idea of rule. Um, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them uh, both are others higher still. And so this opposition and this oppression, uh, and even this sense of rivalry, uh, it's it's structural. It's built within society's system here, so says the teacher. And that's true today, of course. The oppression of the poor, the denial of justice, they are consequences of um, a corrupt rule. Uh, those in power, those in influence, and, and here are the casualties of this kind of system. Uh, here, each government official is eyed by the higher official. Did you notice that in verse 8? So we're in chapter 5 now. Each is watched. They can't behave in ways that's not to their superior's advantage. So they're covering one another's backs. Eh, sounds like a workplace. You know, so if you're a male clerk like I was back when I was a young fella working for a trustee company, that's right, the mailroom, that was Adam. Uh, you take the lift from the bottom floor uh, in the dungeon, so to add you. Go to the top floor where the CEO and the executives are 
And it's, can I, I just want to say, it's not like the higher the floor, the nicer the people become. It's, it's, it's not like that, if I can put it like that. The higher the floor, the greater the demands. The, you've got to tr straighten up your tie and the stakes are greater and maybe greater also is the frown and the disdain. Anyway, moving on, verse 9. Uh, the increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Um, I think that's a neutral statement. I think he's, they're saying by just rule, a ruler, a king, uh, will make sure all benefit from the fruit of the earth. But the king needs something. And of course, the one in power gets uh, a share. But really, the land is for everybody. And that's a really important principle in the life of Israel. Uh, but sadly, in the days of the teacher, there was robbery of land by kings, and that did happen. And Naboth's vineyard in 1 Kings 21 is an example. And so it seems, as we read that, we're remembering, oh yeah, it's been forgotten that we are our brother's keeper. As we think about chapter 4, and as we come to verse 8 of chapter 5, we're our brother's keeper. That's a biblical principle and we forget it too easily. Love thy neighbour is very basic. And here in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 verse 8, it's, it's not happening. Now tied to status and hierarchy and uh, is wealth. And with wealth, the teacher makes some observations and he's going to say there are problems. It's vexing to him. It's grievous. It's problematic. So verse 10 uh, whoever loves money never has enough. Do you think that's true? I think that's absolutely true. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Uh, this too is meaningless. Uh, have a think. Is your net worth more than a million dollars? Is your net worth more than a million? According to Credit Suisse Global Wealth Report, is a big financial global organization. The world's richest 1%, that's those with more than a million bucks net worth, they own about 45% of the world's wealth. Uh, let me say that again. The world's richest 1%, which is anybody that's worth more than a million bucks net, they own 45% of the world's wealth. Adults with less than $10,000 in wealth make up the, um, the other 55% of the world's population, but hold only 1.3% of global wealth. Now, figures being thrown around, big takeaway message, <laughs> we're wealthy. Uh, we're not without at all. We are some of the richest people on the planet. Just living in Inverell here, uh, in this part of the world, uh, puts us uh, in that category. According to WHO, WHO, the World Health Organization, the COVID vaccination rollout was 13 times higher in high-income countries than low-income countries. Uh, Oxfam International reports that during the pandemic in 2022, global billionaire wealth grew 3.9 trillion. 
global workers' earnings dropped about the same amount, $3.7 trillion. And in all of this, women and girls are still by far the most disadvantaged. No big surprise. Have you heard of the age of affluenza? This is the age of affluenza. This is what it looks like. Uh, it's the age where people spend more on shoes, jewellery and watches than they do on higher education. It's the age where there are twice as many shopping centres than there are high schools. In the age of affluenza, shopping malls have replaced churches as symbols of cultural values. More people go to a shopping mall than they do to a place of religious worship. <laughs> it's, it's so true. In this age, the equivalent, what used to be the equivalent of a church building, is now a shopping complex. We live in, this is the age we live in. We never have enough. We are never satisfied. We want the latest, the newest, and the best, and we just want more. More of it. And so, heed the warning, whoever loves money never has enough. You'll never be satisfied. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. There it is. It will not bring you fulfillment. Verse 11. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. What benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? This is a second problem with wealth. I think it's about hangers-on. This one was tricky. I think the idea is as goods increase before you know it, you have inherited dependence. Uh, the more stuff you get, the more freeloaders will come through your door, the more sponges, the more sycophants. And what contribution do they bring to your home or to your life? The answer is, well, they're going to raid your fridge and they're going to swim in your pool and they're going to use all your stuff. You can have no fear of that because the more you have, the more of this that you're going to have. You'll never be rid of it. And maybe... Maybe it's an ironic appeal to our selfishness as a motive to keep things simple and downsized. I don't know. There it is. Not an easy one. Third problem, verse 12. The sleep of a labourer is sweet. Whether they eat little or much, doesn't matter. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Really good contrast there. Very clear, I think. Um, Blue-collar workers, farmers are going, sweet, that sounds good. Um, notice the rich are going to suffer indigestion from their materialism because they're too, too full of all the good things, so to speak. But the simple life of the labourer, mm, he knows sweeter dreams. Are you sleeping well at night? Maybe I could ask the um, same question different way. Are you happy with your lot in life? There it is. Are you fulfilled? Where do you find joy? Verse 13. We'll keep going. I've seen the grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. Uh, so look out if you're a hoarder. The teacher's onto you. Uh, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. Oh dear. Um, problem isn't you can't take it with you. Problem is he's got nothing to leave. Uh, and wealth can be here today and gone tomorrow. There's a point being made there. But again, he's worried about a legacy and he's worried about what follows, which is very typical of this book. 
The consequence is a man who has a son. He's unable to pass on anything to him. There's nothing in his hand to give him. There's no surplus that's going to survive his death. There's no benefit. There's no gain. And so, again, it's frustrating. It's bewildering. Verse 15, he arrives into the world naked. Thus he departs with nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. Or verse 16, there's nothing to show. He makes no gain since he toils for the wind, the, the breath, the vapor. And so verse 17, the man eats in an unhappy circumstance in the dark and all those connotations of frustration and affliction and anger, think chaos, captivity, all equates, I think, to a separation from God. Interestingly, when darkness pops up another place in Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, darkness is likened to folly foolishness now do you think the loss of this guy's fortune is going to lead him to abandon his futile and foolish approach to life do you think that's going to happen no no instead he will embrace frustration and affliction and anger verse 17 as his great plans are ruined but that's the path of the fool. So let me ask you again, are you happy with your life? Your lot? Are you fulfilled? What brings you joy? Or are you chasing gain, looking for advantage, climbing that ladder of, I don't know, higher status or more wealth? Well, which all the teacher is telling us is really just a mirage of foolishness. See, with this reality that's being put in front of us, where do we find contentment? Where do we find satisfaction and joy in our lot in life? And I think you already know the answer. Verse 18. This is what I have observed to be good that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, to find satisfaction in their toilsome labour under the sun during the few days of life God's given them, for this is their lot. See, be happy with your lot in life. Verse 19, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. See, irrespective of wealth, where does the gift of joy come from? It comes from God. So whatever your lot, your ability to find joy in your lot, it's connected to God. It's anchored to God and your relationship to Him. Verse 20, they seldom reflect on their days, on the days of their life, because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. God's going to keep us busy enough as we delight in Him. The trajectory of our thinking is shaped by him and centred on him. God gives us our, our lot in life. Uh, whether that's wealth of a different measure or status of a different standing. And the same God uh, gives us the ability to enjoy them or not enjoy them no matter the spectrum. No matter where you are on the spectrum. 
God is the source of all joy. That's what he's been telling us. Not your stuff. And so worship God. Not your stuff. See the path of the fool. He searches for material gain. He has sleepless nights of worry. He worries about leaving a fortune for his son, but he leaves the world with nothing anyway. There's no joy here. He's miserable. Darkness, frustration, affliction, anger, and worse, separation from God. But see the alternative. Whatever your lot, see that God is there. That he's a key ingredient that we can come to him with thankfulness. We can find joy and contentment and satisfaction in him. As the giver of those gifts, even our work. Uh, if this is not the great Protestant work ethic, I don't know what is. God is there. It may, this is where we get it from. So he doesn't worry about life, this guy, the alternative. God has him occupied. God has him busy. He's able to give thanks for the food on the table and the drink in his cup. And he says, thank you, Lord. And he's happy. What could be better? It's a beautiful picture, this second man. Do you aspire to be him? Or are you the fool? Why would you be the fool? I mean, it's a contrast, a great contrast. And again, for this, uh, for the second man, look at the legacy he leaves for his children. You want to leave a legacy? Do you want to leave an inheritance for your loved ones? What could be greater than a relationship with God? A knowledge of God? A great, what, what is greater than knowing God and the riches of God's love to us in Christ Jesus? Why wouldn't we want that for our children? Why don't we think of that as a legacy or as an inheritance that we could pass on to them? Uh, what is richer than that, more valuable than that? What could be more important, the eternal future of our kids? What is more important than forgiveness from God or peace with him? All secured, of course, by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, our Saviour and King. Why don't we value that kind of legacy? And why don't we seek to pass that on to others instead of hoarding stuff we could be generous and give the gospel? I said at the start, the money is the root of all evil. It's a popular saying, but I actually got it wrong quite deliberately. Um, the Apostle Paul knows the original, and, and you probably worked it out too because you're clever. 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's the love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So do you love money? Are you having a love affair with your possessions? You need to know, money will buy a bed, but it won't buy you sleep. It'll buy you books, but not brains. Finery, but not beauty. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Amusements, but not real happiness. An estate, but not a sound state. A crucifix, but not a saviour. Money will buy you religion, but not salvation. Money might buy you a good life, sure. 
an easy life, maybe, but not eternal life. Money will buy you a passport to just about anywhere, but not to heaven. So don't love money. Don't love your stuff. That's Don't. Don't wait until you're, you're the last boot or last thimble or last car on the Monopoly board. Leave that life. It's foolishness. The teacher says it's foolishness. It's even meaningless. It's a vow. It's fleeting. It will not improve your lot in life. It will not bring you joy. Love God instead. The only status that matters is the one you have before God. So watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The ground of a certain man, a rich man, yielded a huge harvest. He thought to himself, well, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Oh, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And I'll still store my surplus grain and keep it all to myself. And I'll say, you have plenty of grain, laid up for many years, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God enters the story. And God says, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you, and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. No joy for the rich fool, only darkness. But there's joy for us, for all who trust in the life and work of our Saviour and King, Jesus Christ. He was so rich to us. And so may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as we put our trust in him so that we might overflow with the hope that we have by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
just by way of a special uh, announcement, uh, it's important to uh, communicate to people that uh, if you received this email link uh, in a, as part of a bundle, there should be a bulletin attached to that. This is for St Augustine's people. Um, and there should be a budget attached to that. Uh, we've got a, an AGM approaching on the 31st of July. Uh, that's the fifth Sunday, and it will follow our fifth Sunday service at 9am. We'll have morning tea, and then we'll meet. Uh, but the budget is a big item for us to consider. And you'll notice if you've looked at the attachment, uh, our treasurer under instructions from Wardens and Parish Camp and with the endorsement of Parish Council has prepared and it, it's been ratified this uh, deficit budget, uh, which is to be tabled at the AGM. Now you'll notice uh, the Parish Council um, is keen to maintain the present delivery of ministry here at St Augustine's uh, and there are good things happening uh, but turning the ship takes time gaining momentum post-covid has been really tough and costly and of course drawing on reserves is part of this uh, however it's proved to be a much tighter turn than we anticipated and you'll see that in the document uh, however, the AGM presents an opportunity to prayerfully think about all of this together and to make a commitment together. So I commend that to you, please. Uh, again, as I said, the budget has been emailed as a separate document. And if you want a paper version, uh, please see uh, Anne in the office. Uh, if you're able to give, please see our direct debit details at the end of this video. Um, God loves a generous giver, what can I say? Our friends, this month our mission focus is on uh, CMS and our link missionary partners are Andy and Margie Newman. So I commend the next video to you. Hi everyone. Hi everyone. During our training year, before we came here, uh, we visited a parish and over lunch, uh, an incredulous elderly lady uh, said to us, Oh, so you don't have grandchildren? They'll bring you home. <laughs> okay, so now we have a beautiful granddaughter, not to mention our family and friends. And we do feel that strong pull to come back to Australia. So what keeps us here long term? Well, here's three stories that answer that question. In recent years, the diocese here, the Anglican diocese, has increasingly suffered um, from ungodly shepherds, to put it mildly. Caretaker Bishop Patrick, however, is not one of these. When his successor, Bishop Benin, died 12 months ago, the Archbishop called him to serve, in, serve the diocese. That's been a deep blessing from the Lord. He hasn't been afraid to publicly, although humbly, shed light on the darkness here and call the people of the diocese back to the gospel and to Christ-likeness. Bishop Patrick's task is urgent because the diocese will soon prepare for the election of a new bishop. And we find ourselves in the position of getting alongside Patrick and Eva, his wife. 
to encourage them to persevere in setting the stage for the next bishop. So please pray for biblical shepherding to prevail in this gospel diluted setting. The second story is about equipping leaders. Our dear friend and colleague, Deputy Principal Brian, has a great sense of urgency for the Canon in Beery Bible College to be a place where future church leaders learn how to bridge the gap between African traditional religion and a biblical worldview. So being partners and working with him and the other tutors, teaching, modeling, um, planning and making decisions about the accreditation and registration, uh, being part of the decision-making process and echoing their passion for forming gospel-shaped Christ-like shepherds is hugely impacting on tutors and students and us. Well, let's finish with a, a love story or two. Now, for, for the, the students to come to college, they have to leave their families at least for the week. And uh, sometimes they're leaving them in fairly difficult circumstances. A number of them said to us, when we see that you have left your family on the other side of the world, it actually makes it easier for us to cope with leaving our families each week mm. uh, to come here to the college mm. and helps us to persevere in coming here. Mm. Uganda's Archbishop has visited twice and both times he said publicly, these missionaries here from Australia show, that you, show you that you are loved by God. So simply our being here communicates Christ's love. So please thank the Lord with us for the power of his love. So, so we, we want, want to, stay. to stay. CMS has trained us for the long-term crossing into this Southwest Ugandan culture. And it's by your support in prayer, in financial giving and care that we can stay here. We can't thank you enough for your constant faithfulness in these things. And so we're commending the lasting hope appeal to you. Uh, we're convinced that we should stay here. We hope that you can see reasons why also. We so love our partnership with you and can resonate with uh, what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. We thank our, our God in all our remembrance of you, making our prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See you, See you soon. soon. As you consider the special announcement uh, about our parish and its needs, as you consider the ministry of Andy and Margie, as you consider what, what we've read in Ecclesiastes chapters 4 and 5, uh, please spend some time in prayer. Come to God, the giver of all, uh, all good gifts. Uh, give thanks to him and uh, ask for help. Pray that we might find satisfaction with our lot in life, uh, knowing uh, the depth of this beautiful relationship we have with our Creator through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. They are good things to be praying for and I commend them to you.
Let's close with the words of the blessing from number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. And most of all, may the Lord grant you his peace. Amen.